everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bring a Trailer podcast. I'm Randy Nonnenberg, the co-founder of Bring a Trailer. I'm super excited to be here today with a longtime BAT user, Scott Ailes. Scott Ailes has sold cars on Bring a Trailer. He has been on Bring a Trailer since even before he started selling cars. Scott, I think your account says 2015, but we'll talk about when you really discovered BAT. Um, but Scott's true calling card is he's now involved uh, with a company called Drice, his own company, that handles dry ice cleaning of the bottom side, typically all parts of the car, but what's famous is the uh, undercarriage of cars and cleaning them via dry ice. It's something we see on BAT. People watch it for entertainment online. It's so crazy to, to watch the visuals that are provided. And he's right at the center of that world. Scott, welcome. Thanks for joining. Thanks for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, fantastic. So people ask us about this all the time. There's cars on BAT that are listed uh, with these dry ice cleaned uh, components. And I've struck up some conversations with you because you saw this as an interesting technology and wanted to jump into it and potentially offer it. It really was very narrowly offered, particularly in the United States, uh, from equipment to supplies to um, vendors that would be willing to do it. And you're developing a network of that and, and making it more broadly available. And some of the cars you've listed on BAT have really been amazing recipients of this process. Can you tell us a little bit about it and, and what you've jumped into and what you've started? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, I made a, yet another attempt to semi-retire. Uh, it failed miserably. And that was the spring of uh, 2019. I had a dozen cars that I was kind of winding down. I, I pretty much split my career up between wholesale and retail. Did a lot of wholesale through the years and always tried to have a little higher level of presentation. Uh, whenever we were selling construction equipment and cars and trucks and everything. And so I, I, uh, I, I tried dry ice cleaning prior to 2019, but there were some challenges with it. Uh, but there were some new technologies that came out that, that kind of promoted me to give it a shot. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just try it on my cars and I'll put them on your site and see what kind of response, if anybody has any you know, interest. I got like 2,200 people on my email list in the car business. And so my first few cars went live, like a green 79 240D that was like the first one. And I remember it. It was, it was beautiful underneath. It was, it was like, you probably, I mean, I don't know if you know the story behind eBay, you know, that Pierre Odemeyer that, that started eBay, he, he didn't really know if it was going to work. So the first thing he sold was a broken laser pointer for like 12 bucks or something like that. And so when, it, when that sold for so much money, that didn't even work. He was like beside himself. So it's like, I, I felt like that when I was cleaning that 240D, I'm like, oh my goodness, the, the car community is just going to go bonkers. They're just, they're going to think that this car has been like that all the time, but I'm going to post the before and after pictures so they can see that it wasn't. And it, so it, I guess what I'm saying is it, it's, you know, it's been around since the forties, the Navy, the Navy is the first company that, or entity that's started using dry ice blasting in 1945. Lockheed Martin got a patent in 74 and another company got a patent in 86. So it's been around a long time. And I always tell people I didn't invent anything, but I'm kind of like that intermittent wiper guy uh, from Ford. You know, I, I took a bunch of stuff from different places and put them together and it, and it works. And so there's a lot of people that paved the way in this space uh, well before us and me. Uh, but the upshot is, you know, I've always tried to have a higher level of presentation and authenticity and things that I was offering to sell. 
And I'm pretty passionate about doing that. And, and the dry ice cleaning affords me that benefit in spades. It's like over the top fun. And, and I think when I went down to buy my first piping for the compressor system, that was a disaster. I was too excited. I didn't care. The guy at the hardware store I've known for years, I used to be the mayor in the town. And he's like, oh, have you been? I haven't seen you in years. And he said, what are you doing? What are you up to these days? And I started telling him about it. And it's like everybody's mesmerized by it. It's fascinating. So why is it so fascinating, right? I mean, I watch those videos. And for those people who, there's probably people listening right now that have never seen these, right? So they can uh, look up dry ice cleaning. We've we've reposted some of your videos. Obviously, they can go to Dryce, D-R-Y-C-E, is, is your feed on social channels and Facebook and such. But but the... Uh, so you, you do it in your own facility, but you also are training others all over the country. Uh, you're out of Florida, I believe, but they're going to be all in all corners of the country. And you put the car in a rack, they load up this, you know, uh, space age sort of device, uh, which has effectively like a blast gun attached to it. And they get in their protective gear and they get in your car. And it's, it's pretty different than the olden days of, I, I was the like, uh, low man on the totem pole for the for the hot rod shop when I grew up and I was the guy that got to take the dirty cars to this to the steam clean guy like in the bad part of town and like he would stand under those cars with a you know cigarette hanging out of his mouth and steam clean these cars and it was like the most toxic like crazy terrible and I had to sit there you know there were no phones I just sat like on a bench and watched this old guy do this process and I was like you know why I wanted to stay in school pretty much and it was like really crazy. But now, I mean, the videos that you're putting together, it's like space age, the way that it's cleaning stuff. And it's like come a long way since just, uh, you know, a steam cleaner. Describe the difference and why it has such a different impact. Yeah. I mean, I, I drove a Kenworth truck when I was a teenager, 15 to 18 uh, for my dad. And I sandblasted that truck with 3000 pounds of sand and painted it before my senior year of high school. And I, I, I appreciated and enjoyed how well it worked, but I hated the, the dust and the dirt. And, and the problem that comes from that is the media that you use. You get the dirt off, but then you also have the media to deal with. And I think the, the part that people struggle with is it's too easy to associate cleaning with water because that's all we've ever known. It's like from our earliest memory, you can take a bath, you're going to use water. And so everything, you know, we always refer to cleaning. Cleaning is nothing more than moving dirt from one place to another. I don't care what kind of cleaning it is. You're just moving dirt from one place to another. So the thing about dry ice cleaning is that there's no water involved and that's peculiar. And there's no media that lasts because the CO2, which exists in three forms in the world, gas, liquid, and solid, the CO2 upon impact instead of the sand that bounces off and falls to the floor, the CO2 sublimates to a gas. And so it just goes into the atmosphere where you are, good news, bad news, too much of that in an enclosed space is a little dangerous. So you know we're, we're very cautionary to the people that we train about that. But the beauty is that just the dirt becomes atomized. So three things happen when you shoot the CO2 or the dry ice at the car or the substrate or whatever you're shooting it at. The kinetic energy just from hitting it, a little bit of removal, the 108 degrees negative that freezes whatever you're trying to take off and causes it to shrink and lose adhesion. And then it's that sublimation. When that dry ice converts 
from a solid particle to a gas, it expands 800 times its original size. That's like a miniature thermal explosion on the surface. So now that, that coating or dirt you're trying to take off is atomized and the voluminous air that we use, which is way misunderstood, uh, carries it away and you know you you shoot it away from where you're working well number one question dry ice cleaning where does the dirt go <laughs> because you can't see it when you're watching the videos the dirt just like disappears i promise you it does not disappear <laughs> so it, you, we have very controlled environments that we do this at the professional level we have you know boutique locations that will just do very small machines and they'll tidy up trim areas and parts you can't get to. But the upshot is that it's a, it's a satisfying experience because when you wash things with a pressure washer or a hose, you can't really see if they're clean because you got to wait till you dry it off. And so when you shoot dry ice and use that process, it's instantaneous knowledge of whether you've done the job or not. And if you haven't, you just do it a little more. So I think that's probably what's the most mesmerizing about it is the fact that you can see your work real time. And gosh, if I heard it once, I've heard a thousand times or more. Oh, I can do the same thing with soap and water. Well, you might be able to, but you will also have quite a bit of time involved uh, drying whatever it is you're working on. And we don't do that. We don't have to do that. It's like you miss a spot, you just squirt. Oh, there, I got it. But if you pressure wash something and wipe it and wash it and dry it and you miss a spot ah jeez i can't get all wet again <laughs> yeah it's quite it's quite different and and describe for folks what it can be used on or where you find it most effective i know i mean the stuff on bare aluminum components and 911 crankcases and stuff underneath <laughs> i mean the underside of engines when you hit it with this it's just so fantastic anybody who's wrenched on cars, nose to have it perfectly clean. You got to take it all apart and put it all back together, which on some cars, you know, feels like it can take years, months and years to do. And then you guys are under their show and just going across a panel. And it's, it's really, really amazing what it provides, but that's, so that's bare aluminum, but it can do painted surfaces, right? It can do, it can do, what can't it do or what can it do? Yeah. That's a great place to start, Randy. I mean, we always say a very simple thing. Uh, it, it eats foam. <laughs> It just—it literally eats foam like it just makes it disappear. So all of those, you know, little parts in your car that are made of foam or you know hood pads, some of the hood pads are foam. You you can't go near that. Like a, some of the air conditioner lines on the later model cars will have a foam cover on it. You know, can't go near that stuff. Well, you, I can't say you, there's certain kinds of with knowledge and experience and technique you can clean some of that. But that's probably the biggest single risk is foam products. And so, but I think the key for people to understand, you touched on it, and David Burroughs is a, real, a very good friend of mine. He was involved with me early in this process. He's the guy who invented Bloomington Corvette, the Bloomington Gold Certified Pro, Pro, Program. And uh, he's a big, um, he's a big witness mark guy. He's like, he does, I don't want witness marks on my cars. I don't want to get a wrench on there, turn it and slip and make a gouge and, or a screwdriver and scrape the grease off. And then, you know, when I want to clean it and look nice, I got all these scrape marks. So what you said is to do the same thing, you have to take it apart. 
Well, that's a big problem in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s cars because a lot of the stuff is, you know, obsolete, unobtainium. You can't buy some of the plastic parts and pieces. And if you go taking that stuff apart, A, you might not get it apart. B, it might come apart in pieces. And now what are you going to do? You can't even get that stuff anymore. So being able to clean the car intact and not take it apart and go across multiple surfaces, wiring, terminals, painted surfaces, code, you know, every, to be able to do that and not harm those surfaces with the right techniques and tools is a, it's a big deal. Yeah. So that's really different. So what, so what is on the list? You warned, you scared me to death about foam. I'll never go near foam. I'll never think the same about foam again, but uh, it can go across like, like painted uh, wheel wells, painted underside. It can go across all types of metals or other metals you should stay away from. So with knowledge and experience and technique, uh, my favorite video is the Shelby GT500 KR that we sold with you, the black, black car. Uh, I have a video of me, you know, that car is just laden with scoops and trim and, you know, all of the cracks and crevices and places where wax and dirt hide and it's a black car. It's like, oh, you can never really feel like you got it clean. And I got a video of me cleaning the entire exterior of that car, the, the you know, the Concours quality paint, you know, that car did 260 some thousand dollars on your site. And it was a nut and bolt restored car. And a lot of people are missing a huge runway. Like what's one of the main things you hear from people that have pristine low mileage original cars or nut and bolt restored cars? Well, I don't want to drive it. You know, you go on, you, who wants to go on a rally on a car that just came out of the restoration shop? Nobody wants to because it's going to take a week to clean it. And the most critical part is it's going to get, the surfaces are going to get abraded. You're, you're going to, that is probably the single thing that I don't think the car community has come to understand yet. I got this 33 Alfa Romeo that I acquired about a month ago, and it's got a data, a number of data plates on it. It's a pretty important car. And, you know, if you want to clean a data plate, how are you going to do it without abrading the surface? I mean, you have to touch it somehow. And we didn't have to, you know, we, we cleaned that data plate and it's perfect patina brass, not shiny, no scratches, no polish, but you can see everything perfectly. And, you know, that is a big deal when you can clean a, a nut and bolt restored car without wiping it. I mean, who wouldn't want to go drive their car and know that they could just clean it with dry ice and not have to scratch all those lovely services they just paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to restore. So I don't, I don't think people really understand that that is a very significant opportunity for the car community, for people to actually start enjoying their cars where they haven't been able to before. That makes all kinds of sense. It's interesting. I, I mean, I think of it for really greasy, dirty, undercarriage, you know, brakes and wheel wells, like the, the stuff that gets your hands dirty. You just touched on like actually cleaning the exterior of a car. Now, I don't know if that's going to take off like wildfire. One thing people ask all the time is, what does this cost, right? I don't think I'm going to clean my SUV every week with dry ice, right? I don't think that's in the cards. And, no. and we need to just be honest about that. But like what, what um, you know, a, a person selling a car, selling a 
88 Mustang, you know, uh, GT 5.0, nice car, 25, 30K car. I mean, is, is it in the cards to clean cars like that underneath to sell them on BAT? Or is this for the blue chip, you know, $200,000 Shelby's that, that are the ones that where the, where the, uh, where it's feasible to do an expensive or perceived expensive cleaning process, break down that sort of cost, not, not your cost, but for like the consumer, if they want to go do, do this sort of thing. Yeah, that's, that's actually very critical. We struggle with that because that gets asked all the time, of course. And so we start with, look, an average undercarriage, if there is such a thing as an average car, right? Because there's not, but let's just say there is. That's why I picked 88 Mustang. Isn't 88 Mustang an average car? Or I can, what do you want to do? 2015, <laughs> 911, right? You know, it's got yeah. 70,000 miles on it. I don't know. Like, yeah, a nice car, but a, a good BAT car, but, you know, not a, not a Pebble Beach car, right? Yeah, so here's how this works. So we always say this, very simple. The average car is a couple thousand dollars to do this. We charge 250 an hour. You know, people can get hung up on that without understanding that, that the ICE is $50 an hour and the technician, the technician value is between $25 and $50 an hour. You know, we don't have low tech people running this equipment because these cars are really important and, and knowing how to run them is important. But you know, there are no two cars or owners alike, Randy. Not, not in, nowhere. And so like you had two identical cars like you just described in every way they were used the same and have the same everything except one of them had an oil leak. And it could take a thousand dollars more to clean that car. So that's why we, we're really cautious about the average you know, presentation. But, but to be fair, it's really about expectations of the customer. You know, the person that owns the car, if they want to sell it, that's a different you know, model, if they want to, if it's like just a 1974 Pinto that, you know, is their first car and they're never going to sell it, but it's important to them, then that's relative too. But it's about their expectations and having them understand what we can do. Like I commonly respond to people this way. Look, you, you can get cars done in the two to three grand range. The cars that I do and that I like to do personally, I'm four to $6,000 because I'm wacky OCD, like, like off the charts but you got to know that's who I am and tell me I don't want that. And so it's, it's really, we, we have know, 30 guys now in our, under our umbrella and another 30 that are coming in this year. Um, and we, we constantly work with them about managing expectations and understanding. Like one of our guys just did his first job at 65 Buick Riviera and, you know, Porsche, Mercedes, BMW, those are the, those are the video Queens because they have the Cosmoline on them. And when you, so think about this for a minute. If you have a part that's half sprayed with Cosmoline and the other half is not, the car's 30 years old. If you take the Cosmoline off, the dirt is on top of the Cosmoline. So under the Cosmoline, it's perfect. It's gorgeous. But the part that didn't have Cosmoline, you're gonna have to, do some handwork on that because it's still going to have a film. All right. So people get caught up in seeing the Porsche Mercedes BMW vehicles that were really well protected for ocean transport when they were new. And then when you clean them, they look great. Well, you take a 65 Riviera, it's got a little surface rust on the frame and the drive shaft and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, you know, American cars were not well coded comparatively. And so our, our service providers, our members, they get disappointed because they feel like they're letting the customer down. 
oh, this guy sees his car, he's not going to be happy. And I'm like, I have to stop them and say, listen, if you didn't have the dry system, how could you make that car look better? There's, they don't have any other opportunity or solution other than take it all apart and restore it. So that's like, that's where our cost is a 10th of what it would cost. And so sure enough, the guy comes to pick the car up and he's just, he's just bonkers. He's like overwhelmed. He's like, I can't believe it. It looks amazing. You know? And so yeah, it's, it's understanding the customer's expectations and what they intend to do and why they're doing it. So we, we tell our guys to focus on that the most. That makes sense. Thanks for sharing that and that, that context. So again, I'm, I'm uh, thinking of undersides of cars, but engine bay is an area. Do you, you guys do, would you clean an engine bay with, uh, with dry ice? Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of late model cars. Now you open the hood, there's a impregnated on plastic parts. They have a picture of a pressure washer wand with an X over it. Because, <laughs> you know, all the electronic systems are like, I know that we had trouble. I sold Mercedes cars new in the 90, mid 90s. And I think that new S-Class came out in 92 or three. That car's got 11 different ECU processors. So even the cars that are now becoming collectible, those 90s cars, they have a lot of electronics in them and you don't want to get that stuff wet. So yeah, it's fabulous for cleaning engine bays where you don't get them wet and the, and the rusty, you know, those manifolds like that Shelby, I did that Shelby manifold, you know, those are like gray bare metal. You know, they're, they're, they're not coated with any exhaust manifolds. Well, that car had a thousand miles on it seven-year-old restoration. So you can imagine the manifolds were starting to get just a little bit rusty. So less than a minute, they're back to looking like you just bolted them back on the car and, and the rest of the car is not a disaster. So yeah, engine bays are huge. And we do, I would say 95% of the hood pads on later model cars. You know, I, I can take a 100,000 mile or 300,000 mile pickup truck and make it look like it's six months old in 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, that's an interesting one. How long does this sort of stuff take to do it? Obviously it varies. You can go, you know, crazy deep. Like it sounds like the Mustang probably took days and days, but, uh, but is it a full day process? Is it a couple hours? How does it, how does it work? It's typically a couple days. Yeah. Cause we'll, we'll, the only thing we will do for a full job is we'll put the car in the lift and we'll pull the wheels. And so, you know, wheels inside and out, wheel wells, underbody. Uh, we have some really interesting treatments that uh, for exhaust systems. And we just upped that game. One of our members came up with a really interesting uh, tool that we're probably gonna keep to ourselves, <laughs> but it's allowed us to really, um, like the exhaust system is like, everything else looks great, but you're like, eh. You know, so we, we did figure out some things on the exhaust system. So if you kind of watch, you'll, you'll be able to tell our, our Dreis Nation guys by their exhaust systems. Um, it's so it, yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely a two day job. My jobs usually take four or five days. I'm old. I don't work that fast anymore. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's really fun to talk about. I do. I remember distinctly the Mercedes when you listed it because the comments section on BAT just kind of goes nuts, right? I don't know why we're all such a bunch of weirdos that like like looking at you know control arms and and uh, you know struts and springs and and transmission cross members and things like that that are 
so clean. But I remember that car, the bottom of it was maybe even better than the top. And then, yeah, the Mustang you mentioned, um, some other vehicles that have come through. Uh, but what I'm fascinated by also is, yeah, all the, all the little esoteric stuff. So I was asking about Engine Bay because, yeah, back when we were taking those cars to the pressure wash guys, like we were paranoid. It wasn't going to run afterwards, right? The car, there's no, it was like 50-50 whether the guy would hit the key and it would run. And right. so I was the guy that would need to get a, you know, a bus ticket back to the shop if it didn't run. So, um, so it's always sort of fascinating. So there's, there is and there isn't a moisture component to what's going on with yours, right? So if you shoot it at a electrical connection, is, is, is it conductive? Is it totally dry when that thing kicks to gas? Is there nothing? There's, there's not even a momentary, um, you know, moisture component or what, what is that like on, I, I'm thinking about electrical, but maybe you can ad advise and, and say what else would be sensitive there. But I was always scared of getting it in the distributor cap, you know? Yeah. So, so this is the six months of trial and error uh, where Deborah, my wife of 41 years, finally resorted to the comments when I get home, look, don't bring that home anymore. I don't want to hear about your troubles over at the shop. You figure it out. You know, I, I don't need to hear all this. So it literally took me six months to figure out that there's a real big problem with the process. And that is you cannot have any moisture in your air system, your compressed air system. And so you'll watch some videos that I call them. Well, I can't say what I call them. There's some videos out there that have wild white vapor clouds around the guy cleaning the cars with dry ice. And that is the antithesis of what we do. How can I see to preserve a special marking, you know, uh, a painted red mark on a spring if I can't see anything? Like it's just this white cloud. And so that was the frustration. It's like, you know, what, what in the world, you know? It's very like Apollo 13 though, right? It adds the drama when they're like walking. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But yeah, but, uh, but it also, it, it absolutely is not what you want as a tech, you know? And so, so it, it, I finally ran into a guy, I'm in Florida. So I ran into a guy uh, that was a 25 year compressed air solutions expert. And his name was Dr. Dewpoint. <laughs> so we discovered that we had to treat this almost like a medical facility. We have to have negative 40 dew point dryer systems. Like you would never put a cube of, you know, one of the ice tray cube in your refrigerator and expect to ever get ice cubes out of there. Like it's not going to freeze. It's cold, but it's not going to freeze. And so if it's 50% relative humidity where you're working or more and you don't have a desiccant dryer, with your compressed air system and the right kind of desk and dryer, you're going to have moisture. You're, you're going to have, it's going to rain on what you're working on. So, and you're, you're using high volume, you know, 120, 130 CFM, you know, not necessarily that high pressure, you know, 50, 60, 70 PSI, but a lot of CFM cubic feet per minute. So yeah, if you've got a white vapor cloud and you're creating moisture on your work and you've got this compressed air system, you do have risk. So this is, you know, it's, it's probably, a, it's really important that people take the time to vet where they're going to take their car, that these people know what they're doing and, the, and there's not that kind of view. Like if these guys have videos, if there's somebody in the shop that's got a video and you're watching the videos and that white paper clouds everywhere, that's a problem. You, you can't effectively do this and do it well and protect the work that you're doing.
if that's happening. So, so if you do it right, it's dry. You know, we now do our work inside air conditioning, you know, with a, a climate control facility with the proper compressed air solution. So it's like the difference of night and day. It's like where I started when I did that green Mercedes probably took me three times longer because it did get wet. It got wet because I didn't have the right setup. Makes sense. So, I mean, that leads me to wonder, do you think there's ever a world in the future, certainly doesn't sound like now, where it becomes more adopted by individuals, right? I mean, you say it costs, I mean, if you go nuts on, on your own cars and are obsessive about them, you can spend five or six grand doing this process, right? I mean, a few, a few of those on a broader fleet and you can start trying to do the math and trying to take matters into your own hands. I, I tend to draw a line on how far I'll go. I know Eastwood will send me, you know, everything to powder coat and cook my own parts and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, you know what, some things are left to other facilities, you know, not at a residential address. And I need to stay way away from that. My dad and I actually had a compressor and painted some panels for my Land Cruiser in our garage, which made our garage, you know, green until it was knocked down and, and renovated for 20 years later, you know, and people do that, you know, people kind of take matters into their own hands, want to do stuff. Um, and some of that is positive, right? I mean, so many of these detailing companies are selling pressure washers and foam guns and all this stuff that, you know, we had buckets and buckets and sponges back in the day. So it's things will advance. Do you ever foresee, given how controlled that there's sort of science in this? Um, I certainly think for the near term, and not to mention the material, I'd love for you to talk about the material that needs to be delivered to you and maintained. I mean, there are aspects of this that are definitely not for the hobbyist. Can you talk about where you see it going and, and a little bit more about the current state of, of the infrastructure there? Absolutely, yeah. So the equipment side of it is uh, definitely a big part of it. But, but I always, I, I share often, if I gave you a dry ice machine, the very best, it will not even remotely ensure success for you because you have to set up the environment, you have to set up the proper air system. And so all of those parts and pieces have been going up in value because of, of the unfortunate circumstance in our world right now with inflation. So compressors, lifts, um, you know, all of the things that support the dry ice machine are increasing in value. The dry ice machines will absolutely get cheaper. No question about it. Um, you know, where they're, the range is like from 60,000 and down, right? We sell one for $10,000 that's a hobbyist version, like what you're saying. And the answer to your question is, yeah, there are people that have bought that $10,000 machine and they have a 10 horse compressor and they're tinkering around in their shop and they're, they're kind of getting away with it and dipping their toe in the water. And it, it really works well for like, you go out for uh, cars and coffee, you come back and you got brake dust on your wheels. Well, boom, you just, you know, you go around the car and it's certainly uh, a toy, you know, it, while it's, it's an instrument, it's also a toy, but where it's going is there will be a manufacturer one day that will, well, they'll, they'll decide to create uh, an assembly line because the demand for the machines will be there to justify an assembly line. Because let's face it, when you look at these machines that are $60,000, come on, we know <laughs> that if, if you could build 10,000 of those machines, it'd probably cost three grand. You know, look at a car that costs $60,000 and how complex it is. These machines are not that complex, but they have to be made by hand right now because the demand isn't there. So yes, we do have, 
what I would call a starter machine that people can can you know, get an idea and a concept of what it's all about. But as the machines come down in value with manufacturing benefits and demand, it's still not going to offset the overall cost for a full-fledged operation. It's like saying, okay, oh, I can I can buy paint guns cheap now. So it's now I can do a paint job for you know half price. Well, that that doesn't work. And then the supply side of the material is, is pretty challenging. So we basically started this you know, support system and network for our guys in the middle of COVID. And we all know the vaccines were shipped largely in you know, dry ice. And so you know, I'm just over at my shop. I'm cleaning my cars, doing my thing, minding my own business. And you know, everything's fine, except for all of a sudden I can't get dry ice. Well, you know probably wouldn't be a good idea for me to complain about, you know, I should clean my cars before someone would get a vaccine. So we just had to suck it up and let that happen. Um, but I will tell you that the, the misconception is in some cases, where does this CO2 come from? It comes from fuel plants largely. There's one place that CO2 comes out of the ground. I think it's in Alabama, it just comes out of the ground. Um, but everywhere else, it's a we're, we're capturing CO2 as a byproduct of a fuel place, fuel plant. And so basically right before that CO2 goes into the atmosphere, the companies capture it, we use it, and then we release it. So it's just like a little bit of, you know, it takes a left turn and goes to the dry shop, and then it ends up where it was headed to already. And for those people that will go a little off the rails with us, uh, if you have soda or beer uh, in your local area where you live, you have CO2. I mean, it's the same stuff. You're you talking about the environmental concerns of CO2. Is that where people have some, some frustration? They think we're creating it. I see. Yeah, and we're not. And we're, we are absolutely not carbon neutral. I, don't, I, I went there once in a video. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> and I'm very cognizant of that whole situation uh i will never use that term again because if someone wants to drill down far enough in it you know you can never be carbon neutral so bottom line is we're we're using a co2 byproduct and and we're saving the water systems in our communities there's no there's no chemicals and water going down the drain nothing going to the sewage treatment plant i promise you a lot of these elected officials if they knew that we could execute this job and not put these harmful chemicals in their sewer systems and not use, I, mean, I haven't put water in, my, in a car in my shop for three years. Man. I don't have a garden hose at my shop. I mean, I, and I agree with you hundred percent. I don't, I don't think we'll ever see a day where you go to a car wash and it's dry ice, like the common everyday car. I don't think that's, but for me, it's just a passion thing. I have like, when I clean a car, I don't tape it off and, and protect the top side because when I'm done, I just clean the top side with the dry ice. Why? Because it's not abrasive. It doesn't scratch the car, even a Concord finished car. Amazing. You remember the brand Gunk, G-U-N-K? Yeah. You ever use that stuff? I can smell it. I can smell <laughs> it. I grew up on a farm and trucking business. Are you kidding me? That stuff is nasty. <laughs> I think they sponsored NASCAR and stuff too, but man, I had that stuff on the shelf. That's what you... That's what you'd spray on the bottom of a crankcase, man. I mean, that's how you did it. And it'd leave a residue and it was like, it would yeah, take like you. It rinsed it. It was like this weird oily white stuff, you know, it's like nasty. 
Speaking of what you're washing down the drain, man, pouring that, that stuff would get rinsed straight into the gutter, right? I mean, just so terrible. And yeah, uh, yeah the, the sort of space age uh, comparison of what you guys are doing compared to that, that, and then, you know, you get like a plastic bristle brush. There you go. That's your afternoon. I mean, man, it, uh, we have come a long way just inhaling the fumes off some of those cleaners from back in the day. Uh, the, the truck I drove was a, uh, a Kenworth conventional with a sleeper and, and I drove, the trailer was a low boy. So by the way, I want to call out, you said you're driving that when you're 15, right? Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I got pulled over in Illinois, uh, with a, all I had was a school permit. Right. <laughs> and I started driving, I had a 71 Mach one. It was my first car. And I was driving at the school when I was 14. And so I'm driving this truck in Illinois across the river. And this guy pulls me over for speeding. He, and he looks at my, he's, give me your license, your registration, you know, logbook, blah, blah, blah. And I had all that stuff. Like I was a real truck driver, right? I had a logbook. And I was like, he looks at my license and he's like, son, this is a school permit. You got anything else? I said, no. He just hands me all the stuff. And that's back in the day where you would sit in the front seat with the, the policeman. You know, you didn't oh, have to I was never around for that, man. I've, I've, uh, thankfully, I've never been asked to sit in the back seat either. But uh, I, uh, yeah, have not experienced the front seat of a cop car. And I, I also did that. I, I the first car I ever sold at auction was a '75 European Pantera, and it was 1987, I think. And not on BAT though, right? No, I would have if it was there. Oh, you said in 1987. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, uh, can you share the venue? Where'd you sell it at auction? Well, so that's the story. So the, my best friend in high school, his best man at my wedding, had never ridden in a car. And I was selling it the next day in Rockford, Illinois. Lou Lazarus, April in Rockford. That was Love the name. It. Of, it was before Dana Meekham's sale. I was at Dana's first sale in 88. Love it. So I get pulled over at 135. Well, I didn't get pulled over. I passed the trooper on the side of the road writing a ticket to someone else at 135 because it was dark. And so I just pulled over. I just slowed down and pulled over. And it's like it took him two minutes to get caught up to me, you know. And uh, I was just leaning on the back of the car and he got out and he goes, what in the world are you doing? I said, well, I just shifted into fourth and I still had a gear after that. So I, I had full intentions of going a lot faster. And so he gave me a warning ticket. He said, just make sure and sell that car tomorrow. And I did. And I did. And I will tell you, uh, for all you live auction guys, what a lesson that was that moment that day uh you know i was in my 20s early 20s and and i wanted 22 grand for that car right it was it was one of two cars with a factory sunroof like a drop-in factory sunroof with a australian 351 cleveland and it's a 20 grand and the guy the ringman's pushing me like lift the reserve lift the reserve you know the bids will take off as soon as you do it and Randy, I'm not kidding you. The second that my mouth started to move to say, okay, the guy dropped the hammer and said, sold, next car. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. I see. That's how, how it works. That's how it works. They've been, they'd done that rodeo before. You were not their first. That was a rough lesson, but it nonetheless was a very good lesson. But I do want to tell you something about uh, a comment that I make to people all the time about bringing a trailer. When, and it doesn't happen very often anymore, but in the early days, if I brought up bring a trailer and somebody looked at me odd and they had their spouse with them, I would, I would say, I would apologize to their spouse first. I'd say, I'm very sorry, uh, but I'm gonna have to share something 
with your partner or your husband. And then, and then afterwards I'd see them later and they'd be like, Oh my gosh. And that's, that's the problem that anybody listening to this that has never watched a dry ice video. I'm apologizing to, to their, to their partner or spouse because they're going to get lost in dry ice videos online. I love that. That's fantastic. Let's talk about your car. You got a car live on BAT right now. And there's some funny kerfuffle going on in the comments because you didn't dry ice it. And now we may get to hear the, the rest of the story on that one. So uh, first of all, it's a super, super cool car. Nissan Skyline, early four-door Nissan Skyline GTR, real GTR with a twin cam in it. Um, and yeah, tell us what's going on with that car and its, uh, its undercarriage. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting story. One of my best friends in town here introduced me to the, the surgeon in Gainesville that had that car. It's his car and I'm selling it on his behalf. He unfortunately contracted long haul COVID from a patient and I wasn't that familiar with long haul COVID, but the, the problem is that he, he has very low muscular uh, stamina and he can't drive manual steering, manual transmission cars very well. And so uh, we've got that car and the uber rare coming soon to your place, 59 Patrol, of which there's five known to exist. So Nissan Patrol from 1959. So those two vehicles are up. And the reason that we, we didn't, I'm pretty particular about my relationships with my clients and he was a new client. I just didn't want him, I didn't want to force it on him. And the car does have a lot of neat patina. I, I'm a big preservation and patina guy. Uh, the Alpha, we're not going to restore the Alfa Romeo. It's been in storage 57 years. And we're not going to restore this, this Nissan uh, first generation Skyline. Um, but I did, I will admit, I, I remember consciously deciding the day I shot the video if I should put a different shirt on. And I thought, nah. I like wearing these shirts. I'm going to wear it. And if someone gives me grief about it for not having dry ice clean this car, then I'll address it. Maybe I'll just dry ice clean it. And so I didn't want to force it on the doctor, um, you know, because it's a it's, it's expensive in some respects. And I didn't want him to think, oh, geez, you know, what's this guy, you know, pushing me to do this? I think it's very valuable. I think it's really helpful for people. I mean, you wouldn't present your car on BAT without cleaning the top. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, run your four by four truck through a mud hole and then take pictures of it and sell it and bring a trailer. And so that's kind of the way that I analogize it is, um, you know, it, I put it on there as a, as a bit of a, a ploy to see if anybody would harangue me for it. And, and it only took two days. <laughs> so yep. said, I don't get it. You got a dry shirt on and the car's not dry ice clean. So we're going to, Put that car in the lift first thing in the morning and we're going to shoot some videos of what we do we there's certainly plenty of before pictures right now uh that people can look at and we're going to be very careful about the pictures we take so they're the same vantage point so you can like oh my gosh look at side by side there it is and it's it's going to be cool because that car you know you have to really be careful as you well know and have done a great job um you know with your explanations of what cars are yeah okay well how do you quantify rust in a description <laughs> it's really tough and so we always go overboard in authenticity and presentation it's it's what's given us uh, an advantage in our efforts for over 40 years uh, but in this case if you can't really tell 
how little rust surface rust really is all this car has you're going to be able to see it when we clean this car because it's 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 crazy you know i i think it's going to be a lot of fun for people to see what's possible and then i'm a big proponent of before and after pictures because what i don't want to do is hide oil leaks and issues you know by cleaning something so we we are very very strong in our group that we like to provide before and after pictures so people understand both sides of it you get to see how clean it is and what's underneath the dirt but you also get to see if the car did have some issues on the oil leak side because not many cars don't have that fantastic yeah old uh, old uh Datsun Nissan product from the 60s and 70s I, I think uh, that would be understood but great to see before and after photos right we as you know love you know huge galleries and as much detail and just just elevating the amount of information that people can have before they bid so they can be informed i think your presentations do that really well on bat and then but people at the end of the day would love to see the after right there's a lot of cars that are listed with what you would consider just the before shots most of my cars my personal cars look like the before scott ailes i don't have a lot of uh you know, perfectly clean and dry uh, cars underneath, and they could certainly use it. So, um, anyhow, what a what a fascinating new that, technology. That car, I mean, I I'm a JDM converted person. I'm I'm shocked. I had no idea that there was a you know four door car that had a 7500 RPM redline, and how fun that car is to drive. If you ever watched the video? Listen to the video. Forget about watching it. Yeah, they sound so good. It's so fun, and and I'm just shocked that here I am, this car guy. I mean, I used to trade. 40, 50 cars a month wholesale. And I've always been a collector car guy. And I had no clue. I didn't know that car existed. And I, and I, you know, I made a comment and the you know, I've, many people I've said, as of recent, I think every single car I've ever bought and sold in my life is worth more than I sold it for. <laughs> I mean, everything. And, you know, as more people like me come to understand what those cars are. Everybody knows the late model Skylines. Most people do, but I didn't understand that early history. I, I sold Datsuns in 85 new in Davenport, Iowa, Prescott Motors. Didn't even know that. I thought it was Datsun worldwide. I thought when we started selling the 85 and a half Nissan Hardbody that, oh, they changed their name to Nissan. Well, my understanding is that they they gave us Datsun because they didn't know if we'd accept the brand and they didn't want to ruin or tarnish Nissan. So I just found out in the last six months that Nissan, um, you know, was Nissan in the 60s in Japan. It's so, a fascinating yeah. story. And the, the four doors are very interesting, right? The, the, oh, yeah. the Haku cars, we've sold a good number of the, of the two-door cars, a bunch of them replicas, some real GTRs we've been lucky to have. Uh, yours as a four door obviously is is even next level unusual. It is, um, and and really need to see. So we're psyched that it's on BAT. It'll be live. We're going to get this. It's live right now. We're going to get this podcast out. It'll still be live for folks. They can surf over to BAT and look at the underside. And by then, you may even have some interesting videos you're linking to and posting about um, the dry ice process. If people want to see this or or learn about what you guys are doing or find how they can find someone to do this in there area people listening right now are from all over the country and all over the world really but i know your your focus is on uh the american market where where can they find it and can they do they find a local vendor or do they find you and you link them up or how does it work 
We actually have a site called Dryce Nation, D-R-Y-C-E, Dryce Nation. And you can go to the site and the most prominent thing on the site when you scroll down is the map. And we're adding new locations regularly. And so we have a really interesting group of people. And I will tell you, it's the most, we, we've, we've been training these guys and bringing them along for three years, but the majority of them for the last year. And they are spread out all over. And there's a lot of markets where you know, we're underserved and we want to help them. Um, but, but I would say the most important thing is when you're looking for someone, you know, Google's your friend, of course, um, but you really got to be careful. Don't be afraid to call someone that's, that's not like if, if you pick, if you're in a space where we don't have a supplier or a provider, call us anyway, and we'll kind of guide you on what you should watch and look for to make sure that someone is going to treat your car well and, and do a nice job. We're, we're very much proponents of the entire process and it's it is somewhat sad i'm 60 years old this july you know and everybody says well how come i haven't heard of this before it, it is kind of a bummer it's been around for so long and it's taken this long to get here but embrace it now because it's for every person that says nah i don't really think so once they see it or they have their car done like i can't tell you the amount of customers that we have they'll give us a budget like, oh, I don't want to spend like 1500 And so what, I like to tease them. You know, I'll send them pictures and I'll, I'll start in the middle. Like I'll, I'll go down the middle of the car and when I blow up their budget, you know, and I'm working my way out and I stop and I take, them, I take pictures and videos of where I went and where I haven't been able to go yet. And I say, so you, you really want me to stop? No, 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 keep going. <laughs> One guy says, send me some more videos. It's better than Game of Thrones. So okay, so they can go to your website, Dryce Nation, um, and there's also local vendors. And I mean, you're not the only guy doing this in the U.S. Yeah. I, we talked about that, but uh, well, we do like your, that you're a known source. You're a known seller on BAT and have sold some really cool stuff on BAT. Um, so I'd be, I'd be looking to you for this. Uh, and I told you, we've talked before about my, you know, 80s cars, my, uh, my uh, 535 IS BMW, man, it could benefit from this like crazy. Nobody's I told ever. you, I told you that I cut a deal with Reliable and I'll, you can bring that thing all the way out there. I got somebody in California. I'll, I'll, we'll get you, we got to get Find you. some way. I got to experience this firsthand gotta, some, some way. We got to get so. you clean. <laughs> Anyhow, but yeah, so many cars could use it. And it's so cool when, when some, I just really think it's a meaningful calling card when you're selling a car on BET to be able to say the bottom has been dry, blasted and not just done, but properly done. Like it's, it's really impressive. And it, it, uh, it's one of those things like good details and good photos, you know, it tends to pay for itself. It seems like I mean, so. what people want to know when they're buying something is what's wrong with it. Yeah. That's really all they want to know what's wrong with it. And if you can see it better, you know. Yeah. Good point. So, uh, okay. Well, fantastic. I think uh, we covered a lot of ground there. Um, super fun to talk about that topic and your car that's listed live, the GTR, which people should go check out. And uh, I think we'll check in periodically, Scott. Frankly, obviously we see you on the site, um, Scott underscore Ailes. And we uh, are always curious about dry ice uh, activities and, and uh, who knows, maybe we can do a video or something ourselves if we do one of the BAT cars. Um, and do some more. But it's a fascinating technology, something that people should certainly be aware of. And frankly, there's a lot of mystery around it. That's why I'm glad we're doing this uh, podcast, because I think a lot of people either, either think it'll hurt the car or it's too expensive or, 
you know, it's toxic or like, how does this work? Or is it going to hurt me in some way, harm me? Uh, if I touch it with my fingers. I mean, there's all sorts of um, sort of uninformed mystique around it. Much of it coming from me. Like I, I have a bunch of uh, questions and, and we were able to knock out a bunch of the big ones today. So definitely appreciate your uh, openness and your willingness to share about it. Um, and uh, yeah, any closing remarks or anything else we left out? Yeah, just, just that um, with all sincerity and uh, diplomacy, uh, there are noted... Uh, huge YouTube automotive people with massive followers that I would like to help them understand what this process really is because they, they don't understand. And, you know, just because you say it on the internet doesn't make it so. And so, uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of people are, are mistakenly, uh, or they're misguided. And so, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity, very much appreciate the opportunity. You've been very supportive since 2019 when I started and, and we're grateful for that because I, I personally uh, have never experienced anything that's enabled me to do what I wanted to do so well. And, and I've been, I mean, that truck I drove had 300 gallon aluminum tanks and aluminum wheels and I painted it and I, I probably don't have a rotator cuff on my left and my right <laughs> polish and I've done in my life, but it's just, our number one thing is we we say if you can see the dirt we can clean it and that's that's something that i've never been able to do before fantastic well anyway super cool tech uh great perspective from you uh good luck with the sale of the nissan i can't wait uh, yeah it's gonna be fun to watch and uh we will catch you next time on the bat podcast thanks everybody for joining us stay tuned for more podcasts coming up we've got some fun guests coming up in uh in future days and weeks here so stay tuned. We appreciate you subscribing. Take care.